Hey, in this session, we're going to talk about five local benefits to planting micro churches. Now, here's what I mean by that, that every church would start as a micro church. You know, we were planting churches and we'd launch a church around 150, 140, hoping that it would grow. Sometimes it would shrink. And I wish that we had had micro church in our toolkit because it would have made things safer for the planting pastor. That's really, really one important thing. I don't want people's blood on my hands. I don't want to be thinking about the mistakes that we made. So I want to start with a story. And it's a guy that I'm going to call Michael. That's not his real name. Um, he was all league at University of Hawaii. Um, he was the most valuable player, uh, incredible guy, came from a football town. It's actually a Mormon town. Uh, today, he's a football coach in that town. It's what God made him to do. And he's a freelance pastor on the sideline, but he didn't start that way. The problem that we had with Michael was we're thinking mid-sized church and we're sending him into very, very tough territory. It would have been so much easier on Michael had we started a micro church. And instead, we started the template that we always had, the model that we always had. And he was expecting the church to pay him a salary, do all the things that you think of as of a mid-sized church. What we were very, very successful at, but we made a huge mistake by sending Michael with the wrong expectations, wrong expectations of him and wrong expectations by him. Uh, he's got a team already around him of good friends who support him. So we send a pretty big team. We give them whatever they need financially. That was a no-brainer. The problem was that we didn't fit the community. We send this guy out to do a mid-sized church in a very small community. It would have been much better if he had gone out bivocationally, freelance pastor, start a microchurch, and let it grow from there. Now, he's done quite well. Uh, they control a building that they lease. Um, they have a, a, a small, mid-sized congregation, but it's been tough. I mean, it's been hard on him. He's a little bit isolated because of the distance away. Uh, he had to take a job doing what he does best, coaching football, but it was sort of like a come down to take that job. And so we really kind of messed up his life in a lot of ways. Suppose we had just flipped it around. You're going to go start a church in a house. Your friends are going to go with you. If it grows big enough that you need to rent some space, we got some money. We'll help you out. By the way, you should be a football coach because that's what you were designed by God to do. Everything that he did would be seen as a success and there would be limited risk. Now, consider the next guy over who we might have sent out and, and because he couldn't make the mid-sized things, he just collapsed and quit. Because I watched that happen a time or two also. And so I'm thinking that when we do micro, we're eliminating a lot of risk to the local uh, pastor, the guy that we're sending out to be the church planting pastor. Secondly, it's just lower cost to the congregation. You know, if, if we send a lot of money to help a guy with a big package to get together to do this, you know, 150 to 200 person church, um, the costs are really, really high. And oftentimes it doesn't go as well as we plan. But if we send a little money or no money to help some guys start, suppose like this, that we're going to start a church. We've got a group of people. It's post-COVID. 
we're going to gather together and we're going to run a few Facebook ads, a few hundred dollars to just gather a group of people, but we're going to see ourselves as a microchurch. Maybe we meet in a house, maybe we meet in a park, maybe we're in a shopping center. We're local to that zip code because that's kind of how you run the Facebook ads in this kind of a situation. Uh, very, very limited costs. But by the time that they begin to realize that they, they got some, you know, power to travel here, they're going to be a church of five or six or 700 people. They already have some money because they have a tithing base in their church. But now we're coming in with money much more strategically. And so this thing is really, really saving us a lot of money. And if you intend to plant a lot of churches, that is a very, very important issue for you. The third benefit here that I really consider strongly is called know before they go. And the way that I think about this is first through the eyes of Hope Chapel, what we've done over the years, everything is built around an apprenticeship model, a, a disciple-making model, if you would. You know, you start out as a helper, you begin to be a doer, uh, we start to see leadership in you. Now we pull you alongside and we mentor you specifically as a leader. And then we hand off to you. We do all that in-house at pretty much every level, every department, everything that we're doing. This is the model that makes our church run. And so we know these people really well. But then here's what we found. Sometimes when we send somebody out to pastor a church, they have ideas that somebody else put in their head. They've gone through all the way through our system. But They've got somebody else's thoughts when it comes to, I'm going to be a pastor. And so uh, this creates a problem. Uh, sometimes it's a doctrinal issue, which has been easy for us to deal with. You know what? You just go ahead and start a Baptist church or start a Methodist church or start a Calvary chapel. We've just done that tons and tons and tons of times. But we've seen guys that uh, got this latent control issue. That's the big one for me. And we thought we knew them because they had just kind of jumped through all the hoops. But as soon as they got out there, they began to strangle people and choke them off and, and almost work just completely counter to the model that we thought we had inculcated in them. And so the idea that we didn't do, that I'm suggesting you do, we had something we called mini church and we pastored the church through mini churches. But I think when you use the, not the terminology here, because the terminology between mini church and micro church gets really quite confusing. But when you start to say micro church inside the congregation, and then you move a micro church outside the congregation, or you formulate a new micro church outside the congregation, it just changes things a little bit. And this person is going to act a little bit more like a pastor, like an autonomous pastor, though he's inside the church, and you get to see him for what they really are. And you know what? I'm here to tell you that I could have, over the years, maybe avoided seven or eight mistakes. I mean, that's like the 10% of the people that we sent out directly from our churches had we known a little bit more about the person. You know, I have one person in mind that <clears throat> moved to another city, uh, instantly became this high control thing. And so we actually sent somebody there and said, take our name off your church. It's the only time we've ever, ever done that. Take your name off our church. It wasn't over doctrine. It was over you're choking these people to death. And so he backed down and, 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 and for a while really became what we would want him to be. Then he surreptitiously began to control people and hide it from us. And, and it, dis, it didn't turn out well. I'm not going to get into it. All I'm saying is it didn't turn out well know before you go. So uh, uh, the, the, there's five benefits here. Limited risk to the pastor, lower cost to the church. I get to know them before they go out. 
and they're not going to do harm because that's the issue here to do no harm to 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 edify people and build them up in the body of christ the fourth benefit is that everybody gets to fly under the radar now what i mean by this well in in hawaii we were interacting with the public schools our model was we rent a school and we plant a church there well somebody took issue with that and went to the state and made a big deal sued the state that they're charging too little for churches in school and all of a sudden all of our rents got raised i mean it was just crazy it actually put some people out of a out of a public school building and looking for something else scrambling some people meeting in parks and all this all because we had such a high profile now Partly we had a high profile because there were a lot of us, um, thousands and thousands of people throughout the state. Uh, we really were good at friendship evangelism. So they're talking about Jesus everywhere they go. Uh, we were doing a lot of stuff with the community. We were partnering with the police department. We partnered with the Department of Education. We actually partnered with the city of Honolulu. They did a thing in downtown Honolulu called Honolulu City Lights. Well, we did one called Kaneohe City Lights and we put up all the labor, all the money, and the mayor came along and took the credit, but they would invite us. The mayor would always come and greet everybody. They kind of did this regionally all over Oahu, and then he would usually invite me to come up, although I hadn't done the labor that everybody in the church did, and stand there with him while he greeted everybody and then have me pray. Well, again, we're, 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 we're high on everybody's profile, and so this guy, this kind of professional atheist, he made a lot of money off of suing Hawaii. There are ways that if you can find an inefficiency in the government and there's something seriously wrong with it, you can sue the state to change it. And when they change it, you get like 20% of the money that they would save in a year. This guy actually made a lot of money from attacking churches. And it was just crazy. We were so high above the radar and now our pastors, as they go out the door, they're also visible to everybody. And if we were in a situation particularly of, of, of persecution, I mean, there's a certain kind of bureaucratic persecution that we all faced. And, 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 and it was there. I mean, they would just, you know, ante up the red tape. And, and the guys who were going in who weren't called Hope Chapel, um, who or, or, you know, whatever, they had a little bit easier time than we did. But for sure, a, a microchurch guy who's meeting in a house or meeting in the food court of a shopping mall or, you know, meeting in an automotive garage someplace, it, it's a breeze for them. And so, again, the, this business of being able to fly below the radar of bureaucracy is an important thing. The fifth benefit here is really important and and I think it's one that we often miss. It's the one that I'm banging on about all the time. And that's the ability to penetrate different people groups and actually change a community from the inside out. You know, when it's all about come to our church and all this kind of stuff, you're just going to get a certain group of people. And I was taught when I was a very young man that as a pastor, you're going to reach people about 10 years older than you and about 10 years younger than you. Now, I did a really good job, I think. Of reaching people younger than me because one of the things that we did in our staff was you to replace yourself when you're going to go plant a church or you're moving to japan or whatever you're going to do uh, you have to bring us somebody that's younger than you so we're always pushing that age level down i'm working really really hard to know what's going on with younger people to spend time hanging out with younger people and so i was able when i'm in my 60s i'm still able to talk to 
high school students, if not junior high school students. And, and so we worked really, really hard at that. It took about 20 years before I figured out that we needed to reach senior citizens. And we started doing something special for that. At that point, we took pride in we're a five generation church. And that was really a really good thing. But the problem was everybody was middle class. And you know, we just didn't do a real good job. We didn't go do a job at all of attracting other community groups in, but we would get the stragglers who came in from a different people group. And what we found was as the more that we were able to reach into that people group, the more we were able to have a transforming effect in the lives of people in that people group. Now we used what at the time we called mini church. So we'd have a biker's mini church, or we'd have a surfer's mini church, or there's the mini church where the fishermen gravitate to. And so a lot of times these people were going to mini church and weren't coming to hear me on the weekend, which is just fine with us. But I can think of one situation. One, one of my friends, he had, had an automotive garage, uh, very small. It's like two bay garage. It's down a long driveway. And you know, when you got a car disabled because you're working on it, you're going to have to push it out of the shop. Every Tuesday morning, he would push that thing, the cars that were in there, out of the shop, sometimes down the driveway to the street to park because there were several other people using that driveway. And he ran a little church inside. Now, here's what he attracted. He, there, there were alcoholic people that were just hanging around there, homeless people. Uh, but there were guys that hung around the motorcycle shop next door. And he began to share what he knew of Jesus with these people, just kind of an open forum Bible study. He began to see it as a church. We saw it as a mini church associated with our church. He, before we were thinking microchurch, he was thinking microchurch. He became the pastor of those people. Now, I wish we had done that like a thousand times, but we didn't. We didn't have the wisdom. That's why I'm here talking to you about it. And so I want you just to, you know, pray about, think about, integrate what part of what I have said into your kind of life plan and your ministry plan, these five benefits. And I'm just going to go over them again. A limited risk to the planting pastor. You're not going to destroy lives. Lower costs to the congregation. You're going to spend your money more strategically. You get to know before they go. If there's something that's a character flaw, you're going to find it if they begin to act like they think they're supposed to act as a pastor while they're still with you. You get to fly under the radar of bureaucracy. Uh, you'll face a lot less red tape if you use a microchurch model than if you try to go in the front door with something bigger. And finally, you get the ability to change a community from the inside out. I so wish that we would have had microchurch in our thought processes way earlier on while I was still a pastor because, you know, I, I, I wish that I would have done this 500 times, you know, where I was able to help maybe 80 people launch. Um, we could have reached a lot more people groups if I would have been a little bit smarter about this and we had seen the power that we now see in this thing.